You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Past Thursday, you know, as Americans, we celebrated Independence Day. Each year... We observe a specific day to remember the circumstances out of which the United States was born. More than just some time off, July 4th is designated as a space for us to reflect upon our freedom as a nation, where we've come from, and why we have the freedoms that we do. And God's creation and mandate of the Sabbath derives from similar expectations and desires, a regular intentional day of rest is so important to the Lord's purpose for us, he has it every week, not just once a year. And so far, when we've been in this series, we've learned this rhythm of the Sabbath of resting one day in every seven was instituted as a part of creation itself. It, it serves, if you, as you will, if you will, as God's metronome, marking time for how we were designed not just to function, but to flourish, And through the story of the nation of Israel, we discovered the Sabbath is humanity's weekly Independence Day. Not just a rhythm, but a rule of life. The Sabbath liberates us from our enslavement to any and all rhythms of life that run counter to God's. Contrary to how the world tries to operate, we do not have to work in order to earn or deserve rest. Rest is not a reward Rest, as God intended it, as God created it, is a gift of grace. Rest is where we begin in order to do all which the Lord calls us to. And last week, we clarified this gift of rest is a grace given to all humanity. Our rest, in other words, is not built and therefore cannot be exercised on the backs of others. The justice of the Sabbath resides in the equality of its invitation and application to all persons. And it's with this foundation that we now return to the Gospels. We actually started this sermon series. The introduction was in the Gospels, and we heard Jesus' invitation to rest, invitation into the Sabbath. And today, we're going to take a closer look at how Jesus actually practiced the Sabbath. And we're going to take a look at one representational passage from the Gospel of Luke that you have open now. So if you do, in Luke chapter 13, it's also going to be on the screen. Let's read this together. It it reads, On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, 
Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now this episode is one of but several examples of how Jesus engaged the Sabbath as recorded in the Gospels. Here's just a brief sample. It's not exhaustive on these next two slides of Jesus on the Sabbath. Seven times on the Sabbath, Jesus healed. The passage we just looked at, a a crippled woman healing a man with dropsy, driving out an evil spirit, healing Simon Peter's mother-in-law, and we go on, healing a man with a withered hand, healing another crippled man, man was paralyzed for, for many, many years, and healing a man born blind. Seven times on the Sabbath, Jesus healed. So one of the things we learned from accounts like these is presumably the Sabbath was Jesus' favorite day. <laughs> because Jesus did some of his best work on the prescribed day of rest. And this was always the sticking point for those in religious authority. Jesus, in doing such works on the day of rest, was perceived as violating the Sabbath. And because Jesus often gets into trouble for breaking the Sabbath in the Gospels, some Christians have come to believe Jesus abolished the law of the Sabbath. But if you pay closer attention, not just to this passage, but to the others that I've pointed you to, the controversy in the Gospels is always always how Jesus kept the Sabbath, not whether he kept it. Jesus never says the Sabbath no longer matters, and therefore we as human beings no longer need to observe it. Jesus very obviously kept the Sabbath, or all the attacks against him would have specifically addressed why he wasn't keeping it. Instead, they attack the manner of how Jesus observed the Sabbath. And what you'll discover, surprise, surprise, is how Jesus viewed the Lord's day of rest was different than everyone else's. In in fact, it was so different. His practice of Sabbath was so controversial. I don't know if we remember this. It eventually became one of the reasons the religious leadership sought to put him to death. So how did Jesus observe the Sabbath? What is it that seemingly gets him into trouble that is viewed as breaking the Sabbath? Well, you saw it. You heard it. Healing. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. And from the vantage point of those who presume themselves to be in authority, healing is work and thus a violation of the day dedicated to rest. But Jesus, on the other hand, in this passage and elsewhere, insists healing hardly breaks the law of the Sabbath. For Jesus, healing upholds the foundational principle of the Sabbath. Healing reflects what this divinely designated rhythm and rule of rest is all about. If you remember, just a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this. The Sabbath commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and also in the book of Exodus roots the observance of a day of rest in God's commitment to bring his people out of bondage to provide renewal for all aspects of creation, including the land, remember, and the livestock. Jesus, in other words, heals on the Sabbath to reinforce that resting means more than just a prohibition from work. Sabbath means 
a flourishing of freedom, advancing and delighting in the practices that give life rather than take life from us. Remember last week when we talked about the Sabbath year, the year every seven years the land lay fallow and debts were forgiven? Remember the Jubilee year, the Sabbath of Sabbaths, the year after seven sets of seven years, basically every half century, where land was restored back to the original families and all servants and slaves were set free? This is what Jesus is doing on the Sabbath. He's extending freedom from bondage to those enslaved by illnesses and infirmities of the body. He's providing deliverance to those held captive by evil spirits and afflictions of the mind. He's imparting forgiveness, restoration to those who have been imprisoned by their guilt and their shame. Jesus gets in trouble for breaking the letter of the law of the Sabbath. But what Jesus is trying to recover is the spirit of the law of the Sabbath. As Jesus will declare elsewhere, the Sabbath was made for humanity, for humanity's benefit. Humanity was not made. We were not made for the Sabbath. Keeping the Sabbath, in other words, is not intended to be a burden. Humanity that needs to keep the Sabbath in order to pacify God. No, observing a day of rest is designed by God for our healing and restoration. And that's why healing is not work to Jesus. God's mercy and grace are labors of love for our rest. God's provision of rest is out of his mercy and grace, specifically for our healing, not just our physical, our emotional, our mental, our spiritual, our relational healing, all of it. It's for the wholeness, the shalom, the completeness of our being, of our humanity. It's not a coincidence. I don't know how quickly you looked at the slides where I listed the seven healings on the Sabbath, but it's not a coincidence that if you actually step back and consider the specific content of the miracles Jesus performed on the Sabbath, think about it for a second. Restoration of the ability to stand tall and walk, return of sight to the blind, the exorcism of evil, resurrection of the dead. All of these point to what the Sabbath anticipates, what the letter of the Hebrews later on in our Bibles expresses as our ultimate Sabbath rest. All of these miracles that Jesus performs specifically on the Sabbath anticipate a new creation where there is no more crying or mourning or pain or death. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. This is part of the gospel and therefore part of the gospel is that the Sabbath is for our healing. The Sabbath, that day of rest, that time and space of rest, frees us to be healed by Jesus. But are we willing to be healed? Are we willing to be healed? We answer this question not with a yes or a no, we answer this question by how we do or do not observe the Sabbath. We answer this question by whether we are willing to rest as God prescribes. I don't know if you notice it in this passage, but there's actually two potential healings in this encounter. The first one is obvious. It's the healing that is realized, that of the woman bent, doubled over by a crippled back, 
I mean, if you think about that for a second, for the way it's described to us, for 18 years, she has been forced, can you picture that, to stare at the ground, unable to look at people in the eye, unable to look up at the sky. But with a gracious word and a single touch, Christ straightens the frame of her body, frees her from the bondage of the spirit that has restricted her physically, and thus grants her a new life. Freedom that leads to new life. This is God's gift of Sabbath at its purest. Freedom that leads to new life. That's the first healing that takes place in this encounter, and it's clear. The other potential healing in this encounter is not as obvious because, by all accounts, it remains unrealized. And what I'm talking about is the potential healing of the ruler of the synagogue. Nothing explicitly appears to be wrong with this guy, until he reacts to what Jesus has done. And I want you to think about that. Think about this moment. A member of his community, someone he no doubt has known all or much of those 18 years of suffering has been healed. This pastor has worshiped alongside this beloved sister in the faith who, even though she had a spirit of infirmity, that afflicted her body for so long, she has faithfully attended synagogue despite the pain it obviously causes her. And when her freedom in body is able to, through the touch of Jesus, when her freedom of her body is able to match the freedom of her spirit, all this religious leader can do is be unlovingly indignant. Rather than praise the Lord, all he can offer is a rebuke uh, next time, people, if you're looking for a healing, come back between Sunday and Friday afternoon. We're supposed to be closed on the Sabbath. This pastor is enslaved in spirit. Jesus seeks to offer him a glimpse of the real point, the true meaning of God's gift of rest, but he is imprisoned by his own interpretation of how Sabbath ought to be observed. And I would argue his bondage is worse than this woman's. And he's not the only one, if you know your Gospels. He is not the only one enslaved to this kind of mindset and hardness of heart. By the time of Jesus, the Sabbath, rather than being exercised as a gift from God, had been reduced by the religious leadership into a complicated set of additional human, not divine, human rules and regulations passionate regard for the letter of the law. Again, the letter of the law as spelled out by people, not God, had eclipsed any sensitivity or delight in the spirit of the law. The rest, the renewal, the healing, the Sabbath was intended to be about. God's gift of the Sabbath had been turned into more of a rope around the neck of humanity than a hand untying the rope. The fundamental problem of the religious leadership was not their zeal. The fundamental problem of the religious leadership was not their zeal for the Torah, the way, the instructions of God. The problem was they bound God to their interpretation of his rules for life. From their reading of the Bible, the religious leadership invented laws around God's law in turning their preferences into God's principles, 
They judged and tyrannized others. They did this even to the point of rejecting and crucifying God himself in Christ, the one who is the word made flesh, the self-declared Lord of the Sabbath. Enslaved to their interpretation of God's law, the ritual of the Sabbath had replaced the relationship. The relationship that is at the heart of God's prescription for us to rest. So just as the ancient Israelite prophets did before him, we talked about this last week, Jesus repudiates here and elsewhere this legalistic tendency of the religious authorities to pit love of God against love of neighbor. And I'm really underscoring this because the thing is, in the modern history, recent history of American Christianity, we've had our own version of being legalistic about the Sabbath too. Back in the day, they were called blue laws. This term first coined in 1755, refers to legislation that prohibits or restricts certain activities specifically on Sundays for religious reasons in order to enforce the observance of a day of worship or rest. Now, uh, this is getting a little dicey because throughout this sermon series, many of you who are older have brought up these blue laws that now in most states have been undone. Many of you have brought up these blue laws as being a good thing, the mark of a better time for the Christian faith. Respectfully, I couldn't disagree more. I couldn't disagree more, which is not to say that there weren't some good things that came out of, God can always bring good things out of things that aren't so good. I would argue, in fact, much of today's misunderstanding in the church let alone the broader culture, much of the rejection of God's call to rest is due in some part to these blue laws. For all of you who have said, man, if we could just get back to the blue laws, those were the good times. I've had others of you who've shared with me who grew up with those blue laws, how much they were lame. How much it was, you basically did nothing. You were in trouble if you did anything. You couldn't go anywhere and do anything. Now, again, I know that's not all. Some of us made use of it and made the best of it, but for some of us, it was very much like it is here. We're closed. Shut down. Do nothing. Stop. What are you doing? You're working. Rest. Now, I want you to understand something so you don't get lost in my critique here. Do not get me wrong. I firmly believe, I'm, I'm preaching a sermon series here. I firmly believe every person in this country, let alone this world, would be more richly blessed, would flourish if they faithfully observed God's rhythm and rule of rest. But the thing is, I advocate converting people to the practice of the Sabbath rather than fining or arresting them for refusing to rest. And that's what was happening back in the day. You could get fined or arrested if you weren't resting according to the legal code. Why am I pushing back on this? Because guys, this is an example of what we're seeing here in this encounter with Jesus. Our creator, in the midst of his design and instructions for us on how to live together as he intended, our creator in the midst of all that has given us moral agency. For reasons that I don't confess to fully understand, our God has given us the ability to choose whether or not to follow his way of life. And for us to violate the moral agency of others to choose to follow the law is to add to the letter of the law while sacrificing the spirit of the law. It is to elevate ritual for God 
over and against a relationship with the Lord. And that, if you talk to many, many people, that's what they think the Sabbath is about. They think it's about a ritual. They don't associate it with a relationship. They see it as a burden. They see it as something that's imposed upon them rather than something they're invited into. Here's what I want to propose. The best way to encourage others to follow Jesus and enter his invitation to rest is for us individually, together, to choose to observe the Sabbath. That's the best way to encourage people to enter into this rest that God's provided. It's not to coerce, guilt, shame, or judge others for not doing so. We need to witness to people through our own willingness to rest and abide in Christ. The best witness of the wisdom and power of the Sabbath, of abiding in the presence and grace of the Lord, is to reflect and to share the joy and strength we receive from resting in Christ not from passing a law. What what you're hearing here is sometimes our interpretation of the Bible gets in the way of our relationship with Jesus. Sometimes our interpretation of the Bible gets in the way of our relationship with Jesus specifically through how we treat others. The Apostle Peter, in his own words, expresses something Jesus, or it's actually the Apostle John, often expresses in words something Jesus often repeated both in words and action. If we claim to love God but hate our brother or sister, we are liars. Where, therefore, is our interpretation of God's word, of what we believe God should be saying, of what we believe how God should be acting, Where is that attempting to bind the Lord to rules we've created based on our presumption and preferences rather than the leading of the Holy Spirit? And I'll give you one more quick example because I can't resist, though I'll probably regret doing this. Because it's very easy to do, to let our preferences and presumptions try to put God in a box. Last week in preaching on Sabbath justice, Pastor John, right up here, said rightly what many of you were thinking— There goes liberal Pastor Chris again. And some of you, in commenting on the sermon, said, I always knew you were a liberal. (laughs) Did you? Do you? Do you know how I'm politically registered? Really? And others of you who wanted to push back on specific things in the sermon, something very interesting that I might note. For every conversation I had, not one person referred to anything Jesus said or did or quoted a Bible verse. People quoted me party platforms. Not kidding. And that's what that tells me. And I've said this to you before, and I will continue to say it until the Lord takes my last breath. What this tells me is how easy it is for us to have our preferences and our positions, our presumptions, and impose that on Christ and on what God's word says. Politics are informing our reading of God's word. And it's supposed to be the other way. God's word is supposed to inform our politics. When you assume, based upon what I've said, that I'm a liberal, you're not listening to what the word of God is saying. You're going, oh, that's liberal. Or that's conservative, whatever. If you're coming and saying, I'm coming and looking to see, this is what I believe politically, and I'm looking for the word of God to agree with this, then you're bringing your presumptions and principles onto the word of God. And it's going to skew your, your understanding of God's word. I, I, I'm not going to tell you my political affiliation. That's not, I don't believe that's important. I don't believe that's because this room is divided and therefore you don't need to know. But it's not what you think. I guarantee you. It's not. <laughs> because here's where I start. Here's where I start. Here's where I start. I start with what does Jesus say? What does Jesus do? 
And then out of that, then I go and say, okay, what is the Democratic or the Republican Party saying? Because if I start there, here's a, here's a, here's a little secret. They're both flawed. They're both wrong. They both don't have it 100% right. But if I start with, and so many of you have said, hey, I'm Republican, and so therefore I always, I just go with the Republican ticket. Really? I'm Democrat. I just always go with the Democrat. Really? So they're never wrong? Doesn't matter. I'm a Republican, so I vote Republican. Man, I wish we had this kind of consistency with following Jesus. I follow Jesus. So whatever Jesus says, that's what I do. The reality is, we have to start with the word of God. We have to start with what Jesus says and then evaluate what our political affiliation, either one, none, how that resonates. And all of a sudden, you're going to hear it differently. You're going to see it differently. Guys, one of the things that's so important about the Sabbath I'm trying to draw out to you is the Lord calls us to rest in order to abide in him, in order to allow ourselves to be reoriented in our understanding of his word and his will. It's allowing us to be restored to our identity and our purpose and our destiny because six, six days a week, we have all kinds of other filters through which we read life, read ourselves, read each other. And the seventh day, the Sabbath day, that time and that space, it's not just about the day, it's about that space, that time. It's about God reorienting us to remembering that he is our center, to remembering that how we perceive ourselves, how we perceive each other, how we perceive this world comes out of our identity in him, comes out of our understanding of his love and grace, it comes not out of the agendas we create. It comes not out of the boxes that we try to put God into. Because here's the thing, God doesn't fit into a box. Whenever we try to bind God to our own rules, just like this ruler of the synagogue here, whenever we try to bind God to our own rules, it is we and not the Lord who ends up being boxed in by them. Keeping the Sabbath is about letting God heal us and sometimes that means setting us free from our own presumptions, setting us free from our own preferences, setting us free from our skewed interpretation of what his word says. The Lord could care less about the ritual of going through the motions of Sabbath. We've seen this already in scripture. What God desires is the intimacy, the relational growth and maturity between us and him and us and each other that comes from stopping and resting, listening and relying not on ourselves, but on him. Relying on the voice and instruction of the Holy Spirit. Many of you have asked that the next sermon series down the road would be on the Holy Spirit because many of us are saying we really struggle with the Holy Spirit to understand the person of the Holy Spirit, to hear the Holy Spirit, to know how we can, the Holy Spirit speaking. And, I, and I'm seriously praying about that for our future in terms of Sundays. But let me just give you this little nugget. Part of the reason why we are not comfortable, we are not familiar with the Holy Spirit is because, guys, we have this constant dialogue in our lives of doing, of laboring, and it crowds out the Holy Spirit. When you are going, 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 when your mind can't settle down, when you can't shut up, and I'm not just talking about talking out loud, that inner dialogue in your head, you are deafening yourself to the reality of God's presence. Of course you can't hear the Holy Spirit. You can barely hear yourself think. The refusal to rest 
is the refusal to abide. The refusal to rest is the refusal to abide. And when we refuse to rest and to abide, as the self continues to work and work without any space or margin, just not even just one day in seven, a day dedicated solely to our creator, what starts to happen when we just work and work and refuse to rest and refuse to abide, what starts to happen, and we don't even realize it, is any faith we claim to have put in Jesus actually practically becomes faith that we're putting in ourselves. Despite what we may say to others, despite what we may tell ourselves, how we live our lives reflects not trust in the power and immensity of God, but trust in our individual doings. I'm going to ask again, do you want to be healed? And I'm not just asking you, I'm asking myself because sometimes I think part of my resistance to Sabbath, and this sermon series is hard because I am not an awesome Sabbath practicer. I have a family that's here with me and they hold me accountable to that. Darn it. Sometimes I think part of my resistance to Sabbath is I don't want to slow down. I don't want to stop. Because if I slow down, if I stop, I will finally have to face how out of sync I really am. I will finally have to face how much in my own self-obsessed orbit, rather than the Holy Spirit's, I'm stuck in. If I take the time to look at myself through the mirror of Christ, there's no way for me to avoid seeing how much of me still needs to be healed by Jesus. Do you want to get well? That's a question Jesus directly asks us, not through this encounter with this woman here in, in Luke chapter 13, but through a man he engaged at a pool at Bethsaida in John chapter 5. PJ, Pastor John, preached on this a couple of months ago. A man, you might remember, who was paralyzed and unable to walk for 38 years. If you don't remember this story at all, and the slide on the screen will catch, your, your, catch you up to this scene, there appears to be an unspoken hesitancy on the part of this man in terms of being healed. It's implied in the story, a hesitancy. And it, it, that's what prompts Jesus to ask the question. And, and, you know, if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. Because for 38 years, this man has learned and adapted to survive as he was. Being healed, hearing Jesus say, take up your mat and go, being set free, means this man has to learn not just how to walk again, but how to live again. Healing means he has to get up. He has to make choices rather than excuses. He has to re-engage community, which he's been cut off from. He has to find work. He has to go to the temple. My point is, like this crippled man, we can adapt. We can adjust to our brokenness. We can learn how to bypass and compensate for it. We can even become defined by it, letting it become our center, our brokenness become our center. We can allow it to shape our lives, our sense of self, the scope of vision of what's possible, of what's normal for us. Illness, sickness, addiction, fear, insecurity, perfectionism, pride, workaholism, whatever it is that holds us in bondage can not only control and dominate our body, but it can take hold of our mind and our heart as well. Being set free isn't supposed to be work, but being set free can be work for us. Jesus comes along and invites us to rest, to enter into the Sabbath, to abide in our relationship with him, to be healed, to be set free. But we hesitate. 
We make excuses. We rationalize why we have to keep going, why we have to keep doing. But the real question is, do we want to get well? Observing the Sabbath is recognizing the kind of relationship God and Christ came to have with us is not just forgiving our sins. And I've talked about this before, but this is the extent of the gospel for many of us in this room. Sometimes this is what we actually, this is where we stop, that Jesus came so that we can know that our sins are forgiven. And that's true, amen, hallelujah. But if that's the limit, the end, the stop, that's it, that's all she wrote, folks, love the gospel, Jesus forgives our sins. Think about where that keeps us, where that leaves us. We're constantly hitting the reset button as we mess up. Clean up on aisle seven, God, need your forgiveness again. And then we just go back to living the way we were before. Forgiveness, love it, clean it up, back to the way I was before. Forgiveness by itself just leads to reset and repeat. And some of you know what I'm talking about because that is the reality you're living in. You know you're forgiven by God, but slowly that confidence is being eroded because the truth is, even though you keep hitting the reset button and you keep hearing Pastor John and I say Christ has forgiven us, you go, yeah, but I just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Let me assure you, God's forgiveness does not change, but that is not the extent of all that God has for you. Jesus' call to Sabbath, to rest in him, is an invitation not just to receive forgiveness, but for repentance, for facing and acknowledging where we are sick and in need of healing, facing and acknowledging where we're sick and in need of healing and have become content with it, where we say things like, well, you know, this just works for me, or where we've defined ourselves by our brokenness. We surrender to the truth of how sick we are, of how much we still need to be healed by Jesus. And that healing will continue until Jesus comes back or takes us home. We surrender to that truth that we are works in progress, not in sadness or in shame, but in the assurance, yes, in the peace, in the rest of his forgiveness. But the Lord invites us, commands us, makes a way for us to stop, to slow down, not just so we can rest in the assurance of forgiveness and go back to doing things the way we've done them before, but so that we can delight through his grace in how he can change our lives through the Holy Spirit, to set us free, to make us new. Do you want to just be forgiven or do you want to be set free? They're not always going together. Every Sabbath entered, experienced is a taste of resurrection. Every Sabbath where we abide in Christ is a further step of living into and out of an everlasting journey with Christ of going higher deeper, farther in terms of our growth, our capacity for intimacy, for awareness, for delight. This is the full and abundant life that Jesus talks about. But friends, resurrection means you have to live again. The restoration of Sabbath comes at a price. The cost of change of being transformed. It means learning a new mindset rather than rather than always doing, actually recognizing what it means to be. It means discovering a new capacity, a new strength beyond ourselves. 
It means embracing and adjusting to a God-centered rhythm in our lives that we must obey because God knows it is the actual way we can become the best version of ourselves. A notion of self centered not on us, but in Christ. Practicing Sabbath is a matter of answering one question and one question only. Do we want to be changed? Do you want to get well? Beloved, we need to face the truth that we need to be healed, that we are easily distracted by all the stuff we fill our lives with. Some of it's of our own making. Other parts of it are put on us through the expectations of others. Not all of it is bad. Much of it is good. But all of it together through the nonstop, incessant pace we maintain ends up keeping us busy, too busy to breathe. I'm not going to ask three weeks ago, how many of you have actually continued to breathe the way I asked you to as one of the Sabbath practices? There was a weak show of hands. You're just too busy to breathe. Think about that for a moment. Just think about the logic of that. You're too busy to breathe properly. Being so busy leaves us too busy to see clearly. Everything's a blur. We're too busy to listen carefully. How many of us are saying, I hear you, I hear you, but the people around us go, but you're not listening, you're not listening. And so we become like the frog in the fable, floating in the water that is gradually brought to a boil who does not perceive the danger and is slowly cooked to death. My friends, this analogy works. You don't rest, you don't abide, you're boiling. You're kicking back. This is the life. I love a good soak. Until you're dead. Until you're done. We need to take a break before we break. Because it's in the break, it's in the resting, that God gives us eyes to see and we gain perspective. But in order to see what we need to see, we need to be really intentional about following the prescription our Lord and Savior gives us to rest in him. And again, to clarify for those of you who keep bringing this up, the spirit of the Sabbath isn't about needing to stop moving altogether. It's a matter of moving in different, more meaningful ways. It's about purposefully entering into dedicated time and space the Lord has created for us. Entering into this space on the Lord's terms, not ours. Entering this rest not based on our convenience, but recognizing our need to get well, to be healed. And so when we take a break, As we rest, we bring God our whole selves, believing that he meets us where we are. And we acknowledge our broken humanity and all of its aches. And we encounter the God in Christ who not only meets us where we are, but won't leave us where we are. Sabbath rest not only offers us the opportunity to to delight in the goodness of God, but it allows us to be healed to be set free by the wisdom and grace of God at work in us. So here's what I want to invite you to do this week. I've invited you in terms of breathing properly. I've invited you to find four hours, let alone a day, just four hours with something you delight in. And I am still amazed at the number of people who come up to me perplexed and going, I don't know what I delight in. I don't even know what to do with that. I talked last week about this understanding of how we engage Sabbath with others. And here's what I'm asking you to do today. For 30 minutes, 30 minutes, that's less time than this sermon. (laughs) For 30 minutes, just like Jesus did, get away from the crowds. 
or the crowding of many tasks. Get away from things to do. For 30 minutes, find a somewhat deserted place, a seashore, a park, a place of quiet and stillness, and take a walk. If you're not a walker, sit on a bench, on a hill, whatever. But just silently try not to get anywhere. Don't hurry. Follow your own rhythm and curiosity. Linger to notice what draws you in. Notice what happens to your body, your mind, your sense of time. Listen for the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit and get some divine perspective. Release all your anxieties and preoccupations into the Lord's hands. Receive the strength of the Lord's wisdom. Be encouraged by Christ's assurance that he is with you and for you. Allow yourself, your focus, your priorities to be redirected through his leading. All this in 30 minutes? Yep. It's not work, it's rest. Don't look at it like work. If it's the work, then just take whatever part of this speaks to you. But it's about rest for 30 minutes. It's about for 30 minutes, giving 30 minutes in a, in a week. I'm not even asking for a day here. 30 minutes to ask what healing does God have to offer you? What freedom does God have for each of us if we will only take a day? 30 minutes, a moment of Sabbath to get well. Sabbath, holy rest, regularly abiding in Christ is a gift we can't afford to forego. And accepting this gift means not just observing the ritual of the Sabbath, but entering the relationship at the heart of the Sabbath with the God who in Christ comes to heal us, to transform us, to make us whole. For keeping the Sabbath is not about resting perfectly, but resting in the one who is perfect. Resting in the one who promises to set us free from all that weighs us down. Amen.